0: Let's take our Bibles today. We're gonna continue in a series we're calling Stranger Things, Stranger Things. Let's go to Second Timothy. We're gonna look at the fourth chapter, the first eight verses of 2 Timothy, chapter four, verses one down to verse eight. And don't you know that we believe in scripture at Harvest Reading? We believe that God wrote a book, Old Testament and New Testament, used prophets and apostles, and now uses preachers, pastors, and elders to preach the word of God. Hebrews 13, nine says, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. Now we are somewhat familiar with many different strange teachings. I'm gonna give you a little bit more familiarity if that's okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Maradonian church. Uh, It's an Argentine uh, church, Maradonian church, based off of a a soccer player named Diago Maradona. I think I'm saying that right. Alessiani, can you help me out? I didn't say it right, I, I just butchered it. That's fine. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Appreciate that. She's from Argentina. Uh, But in this church, they, oh, you're from Brazil. I'm sorry. I'm telling you. Okay, Brazil. Thank you. Appreciate that. So if you have a son, their middle name has to be Diago. If you're part of the, the church. Here's another one. The Happy Science Church. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. I'm going to try to pronounce, this is a Japanese name. You think it was bad enough with the Argentine name. Here we go. Uh, Ruho, I guess, I don't know, Ruho Akawa. And so his, his mission in life, because he thinks he can really bring happiness to the whole human race, that's the Happy Science Church. And then there's one more, of course, the ever popular Pus Licking and Scab Eating Society, it's a real thing. And and so these female saints caring for people considered a sign of extreme holiness. How many people are open to another sign of holiness operating in our life other than pus licking and scab eating? These things are real. They're out there. You can look them up. We're talking about strange teachings, but those are obvious strange teachings uh, and stranger things. But we want to look at something a little bit a little bit more deceptive, and that is what the evangelical church might be believing, which I think that they are in some form or fashion. You're saying you're so negative on the church. We just need a realistic view of the church in the United States. And so when you look at your podcast and you see mega churches, you might come to the conclusion that the church in America is healthy. It is not healthy. And so that just, it's an image that we're getting. We're used to images. We're used to videos. We're used to all of that. And it can really cause us to go, wow, the church in America is doing well. Uh, But it really isn't doing well. Uh, And so we need to look at something that I think is important. I hope you're thinking it's important, stranger things. The first thing we looked at last Lord's Day is that Christians are believing that you can have Christianity without a cross. It's a crossless Christianity, that we don't have to die to ourselves, that we don't have to pick up the cross that Jesus said that we're supposed to pick up, that hardship and, and pain and all of those other things are not to be a part of our Christian life, but they are to be a part of our Christian life. And so Christians are believing that you can have Christianity without this sacrifice, How did we ever get to the place of believing this stranger thing? This is a strange teaching. Jesus was the one who was the the pattern. He was the one who walked before us and he he led the way. And so when he picked up literally the crossbeam of his cross and was carrying it down the Via Dolorosa, that wasn't just a crucifixion in history. That meant to be a spiritual example for all of us as Christians that we're gonna follow in his steps. That doesn't mean you're gonna carry a crossbeam. On your shoulders, in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense, you're going to be called upon by Jesus Himself to give up your life over and over and over again. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? That you're going to have to die to self, probably a thousand times, if not more than a thousand times, in your lifetime. So Jesus is going to call you to His agenda, His will, and then you and I are going to go. Okay, do I really want to follow that? Uh, do I want to pick up that cross? And we're going to have a choice to make. Are we going to lay down our life? Are we going to follow Him or not? That's crossless Christianity. We looked at that last Lord's Day. If you weren't here, then maybe you can go online and listen to that. Here's the title of today's message, A Crownless Christianity. A crownless Christianity. Here's another stranger thing. It's in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. We're going to see Paul, who was living for a crown. Paul received what is called the crown of righteousness. There's a strange thing happening. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we building buildings? In fact, one of the most expensive buildings I found out in America is is in Oakland, and it cost $190 million to build a building, a church building. Why, what is our motive? What is our objective? If, if we left our objectives and goals before the Lord, and the Lord looked at those, and he read the heart of leaders and Christians and churches, what would he find? Would he find that we're doing this for a crown that we would receive of righteousness, and then we would lay it back at the feet of the Savior one day when we're face-to-face with him? I don't know. I think we're living a crownless Christianity. I think we need to look at our motives. Why are you here? Why are you serving? When that plate goes by, you take that offering. Why are you doing that? Why are you worshiping? And why are you having your Bible open and reading it? And why are you talking to other people about the Lord? Why are you trying to be obedient to the Lord? Why are we doing what we're doing? We need to look at ourselves and go, what is this, God? Am I doing this for a crown? Or am I doing it for myself? Are we doing it to look good? Are we doing it to get bigger and better and to compare ourselves to the church down the street? Why are we doing what we're doing? Can we ask ourselves some tough questions this morning? I think that would be important for us to do. What is this crownless Christianity? What is the church doing in America? I really think that we've gotten stuck on some things. Now, you're gonna think that I'm an uptight pastor, right? I just want to be honest with what's going on. And I want to be honest with why you're living your Christian life. So you got yourself all fixed up. Everybody put some deodorant on, most of us, right? Took a shower, did something with our hair, brushed our teeth, put some clothes on, maybe church clothes, who knows. And so why did you do all that? And why are you sitting where you're sitting? What's your motive? What's my motive for preaching the word of God? Do you know how many times my motive has been wrong through the years it hasn't been for a crown? It's been so that I might be, hey, you know what, nice message, or hey, you know what, you're this, or you're that, little pat on the back, yada boy. <laughs> we need to look at our motives. We need to look at ourselves as a church as to why we're doing what we're doing. The crown is a very important thing in scripture, Old Testament and New, in New Testament. You'll see it meaning honor, victory, or reward. Paul uses it in Philippians 4.1 when he said that the Philippian believers were his joy and crown. What a reward. Paul knew that the Philippian believers that he loved so much, he planted the church, and things were going well for a while there. And he's looking at these Christians and going, that, that's my crown. That would be like me saying to you, you're my crown. That doesn't mean the honor goes to me. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean the reward goes to me. It means that this crown is going to be given to me. If I'm faithful in righteousness and leading you and shepherding you, loving on you and leading you to truth, that one day I'm going to get a crown. I'm going to take that crown. It was called Harvest Reading, and I'm going to go, here you go. It's the crown of righteousness. This goes back to you, Jesus but I have to say to you, and if we could be honest with ourselves, sometimes we do things with impure motives, right? Is anybody else with me today? Because I'm making public confession here, <laughs> right? Come on, don't leave me up here by myself, Adam, right? Come on, right? He goes, you say that a lot because I feel like I'm alone up here a lot. First Thessalonians 2.19, Paul says this. He talked about the Thessalonian believers as being a crown of boasting. That's not a bad thing. Boasting's not a bad thing. I asked Elizabeth Elliot that. You remember her, Jim Elliott's wife? She just went to heaven a couple of years ago, I think. I asked her, is it okay that I boast? Is it okay that I brag? Is it okay that I, I really want to do these things? I want to do great things. And she said, well, it depends. I got this desire. She said that desire was in Jim Elliott. And so I want to know, is it, is it a wrong motive? Is it for me? Is it for the Lord? And she says, if it's for the glory of the Lord, if it's to honor him, if it's for the crown, if it's for, you know, directed towards him, then it's not a bad motive. If you want to do great things and you want to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God, it doesn't mean you're ego-centered. It doesn't mean you're self-centered. It could mean it's righteousness put inside of you so that you'll fulfill what God has for you in the kingdom. I'll never forget what she said. It was such good advice. Crown of boasting. Boasting's not all bad. It depends. Here's Hebrews 2.7. Paul said this, or the writer of Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote it, but we think it's Paul. Crown. They crowned him with glory and honor, referring to Jesus. So there's a crown. I wanna give you some, some principles out of the text. Here, write these down. You'll see the blanks. Fill in the blanks if that helps you to stay focused. I wanna look at four ways you can tell it's all about a crown. Number one, it's all about following hard after what God has said to you. Man, God is a speaking God. He is speaking to us. He is not silent. We might not be listening real well, but God is not silent here. He, he wants to speak. This is in verse 1 and 2. And if anybody knew how to follow hard after God, it was the apostle Paul. Would you agree with that? I mean, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Then he became like the premier apostle and, the, and, and a, you know, an advocate for the Christian church. He was following hard after Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about that, 2 Corinthians will talk in detail about the things that Paul endured as he was following hard after Jesus Jesus had said some things to him, literally face-to-face on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine. And so you can go there too and follow that, that narrative or that story and how God is speaking to Paul. And listen, it's not just God speaking to Paul. God wants to speak to me. God wants to speak to you. He wants to say things to you and he is saying things to you. The question is, are we following hard after what he's saying to us as Paul did? So that's the question. What do you follow hard after? You're following hard after something. Everybody does. How about hearing the Lord? That's what we should follow hard after, is hearing the voice of the Lord. It's in verses one and two. You know, we're all getting old, right? Anybody else in the house getting older? Do you feel the aches and pains, right? The wrinkles look in the, in the mirror and you see your face and you're like, whoa, what happened to me? You know, we're all getting older and someday we're gonna need some devices that you stick in your ears and they're called what? Hearing aids. So we're gonna need hearing aids. Some of you have some of those already. Uh, and so that helps you to hear better. And what is the hearing aid for the Holy Spirit? I mean, how do we hear God? How do we, how do we get the aid of our of our hearing so that the voice of God comes in clear? Can I just say the first thing that comes to my mind is obedience. You will not hear the voice of the Lord if you're disobedient as a person. And then we worship and then we, we love and we do all these other things. We don't wanna grieve the spirit of the Lord. If you're grieving the spirit of the Lord, you're not gonna hear the Lord. Look at verse one with me, if you would. Here's Paul writing the young Timothy. It's a great, a great chapter. I'm only gonna look at verses one, one down to verse eight to get these four characteristics here uh, where we can see it's all about a crown. Verse one, Paul says, I charge you. Are you, are you looking there? Are, I charge you. I'm not gonna have some of these verses. This is gonna be one that you're gonna have to listen more than look. I have no props and I have no pictures. And you're like, ah. So we're gonna do this audible. And so I want you to really look at the text of scripture and then listen closely, lean in. Paul said, I charge you. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. He's commanding Timothy to do something. He's commanding Timothy to live quorum Deo, which means, it's a Latin term, before the face of God. You'll notice in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. In other words, following hard after what God has said and following hard after God will not have anything to do with other people in the moment. You know, we can follow hard and do the Christian thing when other people are watching us. That's, that's real easy. But the, the real test of your faith and my faith is, is when nobody is watching other than God, when you're living quorum Deo, before the face of God, and you're like, man, should I do this? Should I look at this screen with, you know, these pictures on it? Or should I go over to this particular place that's really not good for me to go to? You're going to be living quorum Deo, before the face of God. What's happening is that evangelicals or Christians are more concerned about other people looking at them a certain way, accepting them or rejecting them. But what we need to do is be looking at God and how God accepts us or rejects us. That's more important. Man, we're all about ourselves too much. We're not all about the verticality of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. So Paul's telling Timothy, he says, I got a command for you. It's from the Lord. I'm the mouthpiece of God. That's, that's illumination and revelation that Paul was in, imparted to give the scripture and he's given it to Timothy. He's such a young guy, Timothy, young pastor going into Ephesus, trying to do a great work. There it was a hard work, but he wants Timothy to preach the word. Do you see that in the text? Preach the word. You're saying, okay, that's not for me. That's not for me. That's for you. You're the preacher. You're the pastor. That's what you do. Well, Timothy was to preach the word and the people were supposed to do what? Listen to the word and not listen to the word only, but do what? Follow it. And then what do you do when you follow the word of God? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to preach it too. You're supposed to tell other people about Jesus. This isn't just for pastors or for Timothy. This is for all of us. We're proclaimers. We're we're, we're ambassadors. We're going to other people that don't know the Lord and letting them know about Jesus and the gospel. And so Paul gives a command here and he wants Timothy to follow hard after it. What has God said to you? You're saying, I don't hear God. I don't hear the Lord. What do you mean by that? I don't know how many times I've, I've, I've had conversations with people in 30 years of ministry where they say, I don't hear the voice of God. What are you talking about? How do you follow hard after what God says to us if you don't know what his voice sounds like? So that would be an objective and a good goal is to ask the Lord right now, help me to hear your voice better. Help me to hear your voice Watch what he does. You're saying, whoa, the voice of the Lord only comes in scripture, not anywhere else, just in scripture. Some of you have been taught that. The voice of the Lord is an addition to scripture. It's not just in scripture. It's never contrary to scripture. You go back to the word of God, you make sure it's there. Nothing's contradicting that word. But over and over again, you'll see, especially in the book of Acts, you'll see people being being led or guided by the voice of God, and it's not a scripture verse. It's the voice of the Lord speaking to them. Now, there's some wingnuts out there in our world, right, that say they hear the voice of the Lord, and you're looking at them going like, yeah, no, not them. That's where you need discernment, test the spirits. We looked at that in our study of 1 John. Here's number one. You've got to follow hard after what God has said to you. What has he said to you to do? Is he calling you to pray more fervently, Is he calling you to serve? Dave, you heard the testimony. You heard Dave say that God has spoken to him and now he's going to Guatemala. Then you heard Janine and in the midst of her trauma and her trials and and all of her affliction and her hardship, God was still moving and still speaking. And she's following hard after God. Would you agree with that? I mean, I look at those two people, I'm like, they're following hard after what God has said to them. That's such a fantastic thing. Here's number two. Write this down. It's all about fulfilling humbly all that God has given you. So God has given us. He's given us some things we need to follow. Uh, We need to fulfill, pardon me, fulfill humbly all that God has given to us. Paul begins with this. He talks about the last days. Can we look at the text together, verse three? Notice, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. And what's the next phrase? Fulfill your ministry. We're all good about fulfillment in America. Fulfillment. I want fulfillment. But we're really struggling on fulfilling. We got men not fulfilling their commitments to their wives, to their kids. We got wives not not committing to fulfill what God has given them to their family. And there's abandonment, and there's divorce, and there's all this other kind of stuff going on. We're good with fulfillment, but not fulfilling something. Or we look at things and go, I want it to be so fulfilling to me. That's still missing it. What we're talking about here is that God has given us something and we are to fulfill it. This is a very tragic section I just read to you of Scripture. Paul says to Timothy that they will not endure. They will not endure. They won't last. There's people that call themselves Christians that will not last. They'll fall away. They'll drift off. They'll give up. They'll give over. And they'll be deceived. They got a shady maple spirituality. That's what I call it. Shady maple spirituality. familiar with that That place? And so we go in there, it's a little smorgasbord. You take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that. I don't want that, that looks disgusting, but ooh, that looks good over there. I'm going that direction. That's the kind of Christianity that we have, and so we're picking and choosing, Paul says. I like this teaching. This is the teaching that I want to have in my life, but man, when he says something like that, I'm gonna push back on that thing over there. That's called shady maple spirituality. That'll be one of our our buzzwords, right? We're getting some of those as we get older and as a church. Nothing against Shady Maple. I'm not not downing them. I'm just using that as an illustration for you to remember. This isn't buffet-style Christianity. Verse 4, it says, They will turn away from listening to the truth. Listening to the truth. I knew a pastor up in Massachusetts. Man, he could preach the word. He was about nine feet tall. He was a big guy. And so I met him and, and didn't build a relationship with him, but I watched him from a distance. His church boomed up over 1,500, 1,600 people. Then he started another location. Man, things were happening. That's for New England. That's pretty significant. It's not not a mega, mega, mega church. But anyway, found out some years later that he left his wife, abandoned his family, and is now living a homosexual life. He turned away from the truth. There's going to be a lot of people like that, not just him. I really believe that we're in in a season of falling away. I think there's a falling away that's actually happening. The Bible does talk about that, but Paul really wants to drive this in uh, to young Timothy. Now look at verse five again, would you? What is Timothy to do? Look at verse five. This is good. As for you, always be sober-minded. That's clear thinking. Endure suffering. This isn't gonna be easy, Timothy, trying to lead these Christians in Ephesus. This was a tough work. Do the work of an evangelist. Give the gospel. Lead people to conversion. And then fulfill your ministry. He's been given something. We've been given something to fulfill. Fulfill your ministry. What does this mean? Complete what God has given you. Complete it. Anybody in a season of suffering right now? Anybody going through some hardships and difficulty? Anybody going through something? Everybody's good? Right? You go through something like that, just complete it. Fulfill it. It's not gonna be forever. You've entered into something, or maybe you're entering into it. My wife and I just entered into it with my mother-in-law's cancer. Have I not preached to you that you don't know what's coming around the corner? You don't know. Some of you are going to be in a similar situation maybe a month from now. So the suffering seasons, we're to look at and go, I want to fulfill this, Lord. I will not turn from this. I will not abandon you. I will not go away. I will not go back into the world. I will not go back to Egypt. I'm going to fulfill what you've given me because this is what you've given me. I'm gonna fulfill it. Paul says, Timothy, you've been to fulfill what I've given or what God has given you. It's such a good thing. Maybe it's paying off a debt. Maybe you're paying off a debt. Anybody understand debt? Anybody got some debt here, right? You're trying to pay it off? Just keep going. Just keep going. My wife and I are almost debt free. Now, if you don't know some of our history, you would say, wow, he's never gonna be debt free. It was bad. We're almost there. We wanted to fulfill it. I just read something recently, and this is a person in our church that I really believe is fulfilling what God has given her, Joanna Leonard. So I'm on Facebook. I, I don't go on there a lot, but I'm on there. I, mostly I go on there for Harvest Reading, just kind of follow that. Are you following Harvest Reading on social media? Please do. And so Joanna posts something recently, and she's talking about this. She's on mission. I might miss some of the words. I can't quite remember exactly. I'll give you the gist of it. She's talking about raising her kids and how God has given her that. And as I'm reading this, it's blessing me. I'm, just, I'm, I'm hearing the Lord. The Lord is speaking through that, and it's building me up. Because I'm watching a young mother who realizes that raising kids is not easy. She's honest about it but she realizes it's a great, great calling. So if you ever think that motherhood is like down here and then something else is up here, no, no. What Joanna's doing in fulfilling that that mission, that ministry that God has given her as a parent is phenomenal. Keep going, Joanna, and other young mothers or mothers that have teenagers that are wayward Here's number three. It's all about fight. We're talking about crowns. Now we're talking about it's all about a crown. We're talking about a crownless Christianity. We don't want to be that. Number three, it's all about fighting heartily the battle that God has you in at the moment. Verses six and seven. Can we look at those verses? Verse six, for I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. This is a reference to Paul and his. Life coming to an end. It says, and the time of my departure has come. That's not United or American Airlines, or he's that's nothing like that. It's referencing he's going to die. He knows his life is coming to an end. And then, verse seven at the beginning of the verse, it says, I have fought the good fight. Stop there. I have fought. He knows how to fight. You need to be a fighter. Every Christian needs to know how to now battle it out. You need to know how to fight the good fight. It's not a bad fight, it's a good fight. If it's for righteousness, what fight are you in now? Is it a sickness? Is it an abandonment issue? Is it some form of loss? I follow the group memes, ladies, I do. It's only because my phone is weirdly linked to my wife's. It's not like I'm a control freak and I wanna know everything she's doing. It's just somehow it got linked. So I'm looking at all of the group memes that come to my wife, all the ladies talking about this pain and this loss and this neighbor and, and this relative. and, and all. What are you going through? It's a battle, Janine, wasn't that a battle? I mean, you were in a battle. You lost your husband. This is not an easy place to try to live your life. We're all in battles of different sorts. Maybe it's a doubt you have or a fear or a financial issue. Maybe it's a habitual pattern in your life and you want it to stop. And it's a stronghold that has developed over the years, maybe since you were a child. Maybe it's disappointment or standing alone in your faith because your family is persecuting you, making fun of you. Battle is it? Maybe somebody is slandering you or gossiping you. There's battles of all sorts, all sorts. But a crown carrier who wants to do it for righteousness' sake is looking at this battle and go, God, I'm here because of you. I'm here because of you, and I'm going to make it to the other side with you. Paul said, "I have fought a good fight." Do you know how to fight? Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. You know, years and years ago, I was a youth pastor. I guess that's where you usually start out, right? And so I was a youth pastor, and the first message I ever did, second message I ever did was Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And I've been loving Ephesians 6 ever since. Write this down, Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. It'll talk about the armor of God. Paul gives us every piece that we need so that we can battle. You are not without every resource necessary to win. Some of you think, I'm going to lose. I'm losing now. No, no, no. No, pick up your helmet of salvation. Put the breastplate of righteousness on. Put the shoes of the gospel of peace on. Pick up your sword, the belt of truthfulness and authenticity. Make sure that's in place. You got everything you need to be able to win the battle, to fight the good fight. Let me say something, and it might come across a little bit direct, if not I've I probably already said some things direct. I just love you so much. I do. I love you, love you, love you. I don't want to play games in Christianity. I did this years ago, played too many games. Wasn't doing it for a crown. I'm trying to do it for a crown now. That means direct, but loving. If I were to say to you this, do you know spiritual battle fatigue? Spiritual battle fatigue. And if the first response in your mind is, I don't know what you're talking about, then you are not a threat to the enemy. You are not. You don't don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Because when you're a threat to the enemy, you're gonna understand spiritual battle fatigue. You're gonna know how to fight and you fight back. Now you're fighting with the resources of the Lord. You're doing it his way, you're not doing it your way. You know what we're fighting more? Christians are fighting against Christians. And churches are fighting against churches. Listen, Paul fought against demons. Have you fought a demon before? That's serious business. Do you fight your flesh? Does your flesh bother you and you want so much to be released of the flesh, the selfishness, the pride, the lust? He fought against people that were oppressed and demon-possessed. He gets spiritual fatigue as a result of that. And you'll see it again in 2 Corinthians. He's depressed. He's full of anxiety. He's carrying all kinds of burdens. He's a mess because he's in battle like all the time. All the time. Christians are fighting other Christians. Let me give you some of the worst church battles I've ever read about. Churches fighting against, this this is true. These are absolutely true. The length of the service, the time people were fighting in a church about how long the service should be. Who makes decisions? That's a big battle in churches. How about worship style? You know how many battles and fights have gone on because of music? Which picture of Jesus to hang in the lobby one church was struggling over? Really? (laughs) There is no picture of Jesus. (laughs) There wasn't any Kodak moment back when Jesus was walking the earth and they got a, a shot of him somewhere. This is ridiculous. I write this truly laughing and mad at the same time when I read about these things. How about this one? I I read about a church that struggled with and fought and battled whether they should have cran grape versus grape juice. Cran grape versus grape juice. I'm getting fired up right now. The youth group borrowed a crock pot and that really upset a lot of people in the church. Here's one. A lady brought vanilla syrup to the coffee table and a battle ensued because it looked too much like liquor. Really? Is that preoccupation or what? And the devil's looking at that church and going, yeah, I got them right here in the middle of my hand. Because they're fighting against each other and they're battling it out. When demons are afflicting people and people are depressed and under all kinds of afflictions, and Christians are just like, yeah, I'm just going to worry about this thing over here and fight about this over there. Can't do that. Paul said that we're fighting against flesh and blood, not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this age. That's what he said. That's Ephesians chapter 6. You'll see it there. How's your fight going? Are you fighting for worship? Listen, when Scott leads us in worship and you're feeling a pullback and you're feeling like, I don't feel like it, or I'm a little bit embarrassed, that is all demonic. You're saying, whoa. Yeah, because Jesus needs to be exalted and it's not about us. So if you're more concerned about your self-image or looking funny or sounding stupid or something like that, that the enemy has you and you're not exalting Christ with every, turn that volume up, whatever your volume max is. Some of you are maxed out at seven. That's cool. Be a seven. Some of you are like 10, you know, and you're shooting and hooting and hollering and all that kind of thing. Then turn it up. But some of you should be a six and you're only going to two. That's just not in this realm. That's demons looking at you and the flesh looking at you, going, trying to keep you from worshiping Jesus Christ. That's not because you just didn't have your coffee this morning. You just don't have the energy. It's not because you're more reserved and you're shy. Number four it's all about finishing. Paul was such a finisher. He says this in verses 7b down to verse 8. It's all about finishing, honoring the one who deserves glory. He said this, the rest of verse 7. Notice it. Take your eyes there if you would. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. Now watch this. I have finished the race. Not halfway. He's not like, oh, I'm too tired. I don't feel like going all the way. He said, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Now he's pulling back from his, his... imagery and metaphors of a runner, of a race. So this crown of righteousness has been debated as to exactly what it is. I really think that it's righteous living. It's living the way that God called him to live. And then this crown, this wreath that they would give a runner in that day uh, would be like a trophy or whatever. And so Paul's going to get that crown of righteousness because he's been so faithful. He's been so faithful to the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me Watch this, he'll award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love, have loved his appearing, that's you and me. It's the same thing, we're doing this for a crown. We're doing this for a crown, the crown of righteousness. Is that why you're here? Is that why you're gonna persevere and you're gonna endure through what you're going through? Because someday you're gonna get a crown because you've been so faithful. You've been trying to live righteous before the Lord. And you're going to get that crown, and you're going to do what with it? Are you going to put it on that shelf where all your little league trophies are and your dance ribbons? Is that where you're going to put it? You're going to take that crown, and we're going to take that crown. We're just going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. You're not going to put it on your head. You're going to go, like, here, Jesus, this goes back to you. You're the victor. You're the one. See, He wants to test us with the crown. Are we going to give it back to the one who deserves all the glory and all the honor? Are you a finisher? Are you a finisher? Who's a finisher? Can I just give you some some thoughts on a finisher? A Finisher is somebody who goes to the kitchen, they open the cabinet, they get what they come out of the cabinet, and then they do what? And they close the cabinet, right? Come on now. And so you go to the dishwasher and you, what? Load the dishwasher. You're putting the dishes from the sink into the dishwasher. You're going to the gas station, it's time for gas, and you're not going there and you're putting half a tank, you're putting a whole tank. How many times have a husband ever heard their wife say, how come you didn't fill it up, man? Come on, put every, I've heard that so many times through the years. Finish, be a finisher. Oh, this one gets me, closing the fridge door. Come on now, we're gonna break out in revival here. Close the fridge door, finish what you start. Paul was a finisher. Strange thing has happened in the Christian church. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we here? Why are you picking up your Bible? Why are you singing? Why are you you doing any of this? Why are we? It's for a crown. I pray that all of us would have this perspective. Can we stand to our feet? God, we pray that you would help us to follow hard after what you said. Following hard. Help us, Lord, to fulfill humbly what you've given us. Help us to fight heartily the battle that you have us in right now. And help us to finish honoring you. Honoring you. Not us, not our church, not us individually, but you. God, we pray that you would help us to be crown carriers cross carriers pick up your cross and then take the crown and just give it back to the lord help us to keep giving back to you lord purify our motives we're so full of ourselves sometimes we're so ego-centered it's all about strategy it's all about you know building bigger and and better and too much pride and so god we pray that you would reverse all of that in my heart reverse it in our leaders' hearts, reverse it in every person that goes to Harvest Reading. One day we'll stand before you with a crown, a righteous crown, because we've been faithful. We have finished well. And then we'll give it back to you, Jesus. That's what we'll do. Let's sing his praise.